Yo, this is Axel Rose of Guns N' Roses. Hey, this is Carmen Electra. Hi, this is Daryl Strawberry. What up, though? This is Big Snoop Deal Double G. Hi, this is John Stallard. Hey, yo, Hulk Hogan here. What's up? This is Beyonce. I got a great show lined up for y'all. Hey, yo, yo, yo. Let's get this party started. The Sports Beat. You know what? Let's keep it hot. The Sports Beat is off the chain, man. Ah, yeah. The Sports Beat. Download the podcast now. You're listening to The Sports Beat with Richard Holdridge. Welcome to the Sports Me with Richard Holdridge. I am so glad to be here on this day. Just a reminder that you are listening to us on WQEE 99.1 FM, the key out of Noonan, Georgia. We are brought to you by Ivy Park Sports Bar Grill, Go Jump and Slide Flatables, and Christie's Cafe. This is episode 480 on this Wednesday, October the 12th. 2022 and on this show going to recap that heartbreaking loss in game one of the NLDS between the Atlanta Braves and the Philadelphia Phillies going to recap all the games in the division series for Major League Baseball but let's go ahead and get started I'm going to have Justin Dale on the show shortly I guess when you get hot in the wildcard series you could carry all that momentum into the division series and that's what the Phillies did 7-6 7-6 to six over the Atlanta Braves. Putting up three runs in the bottom of the ninth wasn't enough for the Atlanta Braves. As Matt Olson did hit a three-run homer, but the Phillies tacked on two runs in that first inning. Very important that they got four straight hits with two outs, and they got to Max Freed. Max Freed pitched three and a third innings and gave up four runs. The Braves are going to regroup. They're going to play the Phillies in Game 2 this afternoon as Kyle Wright, the 21-game winner, will take on the Phillies' ace, Zach Wheeler. The Braves have got to win this game because you do not want to go down 0-2 and play the next two games in Philly. Right now, what the goal is for the Atlanta Braves is to get it to a Game 5 back in Atlanta and then throw Max Freed again. Some of the other games in the division series, the Houston Astros. They were down 7-3 to going to the bottom of the 8th inning. Alex Bregman hit a 2-run homer. And then Jordan Alvarez hit a 3-run homer in the bottom of the ninth inning in walk-off fashion to win Game 1 over the Seattle Mariners. The New York Yankees beat the Cleveland Guardians 4-1 to thanks to a gym by Garrett Cole. Cole pitched 6 and a third innings and gave up a run. The Yankees take the 1-0 series lead over the Guardians. In the nightcap, the Los Angeles Dodgers do what they do best. They jump out to the five-run lead, starting with the Justin Turner home run. Julio Urias gave up three runs, but that's all they needed. And the Dodgers shut the door on the San Diego Padres, beating them 5-3. All right, so the Carolina Panthers fired Matt Rule after starting 1-4. and And it is time for him to go back to college. There is going to be a ton of college jobs that Matt Rule could have his pick. Arizona State, Nebraska, Wisconsin, Georgia Tech, and possibly even Auburn. Would he be a good fit at any one of those schools? All right, so I want to remind you that we do have our Friday Night Lights High School Football Preview Review Show this Friday from 5 to 6 here on WQEE. 
Corey Bank and I will be calling the Russell County Park Crossing game. It's Russell County's homecoming game, and it is also an opportunity to get a free COVID-19 vaccination. Vaccines will be available on site with gift card incentives up to $50. For more information, go to the website enrichmentservices.org slash vaccine equity initiative. All right, so the high school game of the week. I've got a Twitter poll out already for high school game of the week for week 10. And right now, leading the way with 45% of the votes is Eagles Landing Christian Academy at Callaway, followed by Schley County at Manchester, then Northeast at Spencer. That is a big region game for the Spencer Green Wave, and it is also their home opener at the new Otis Spencer Stadium down in South Columbus, followed by Shaw at Hardaway. I know their records don't show it, but that is a big region game for two crosstown rivals. So go on Twitter and vote. You got an entire week to vote, and I will announce the results on next week's show. Oh, I am excited about the NBA season starting up next Tuesday night. One thing that I did not mention, the Atlanta Hawks, I know it's only preseason, but they looked impressive against the Milwaukee Bucks last week. They defeated the Bucks 123-113 to in Abu Dhabi. I think the Atlanta Hawks could at least be a fourth seed. I've talked about what I think the Atlanta Hawks can do this season. They will take on the Houston Rockets on Wednesday, the 19th, at State Farm Arena. I believe there's optimism with this Atlanta Hawks team, with that backcourt of Trey Young and DeJounte Murray. My only question for the Atlanta Hawks is the coach. Look, it's nothing against Nate McMillan. When he took over for Lloyd Pierce, he was the right interim head coach that actually had the Hawks playing on a different level, and it catapulted them into the playoffs, and they made it all the way to the Eastern Conference Finals. It was a magical season. So yes, why not give him the official head coaching job? I understand that. But as far as a teacher and a developmenter of young players, I would prefer a Mike Budenholzer. I know he coached for the Hawks before. I would prefer a Taylor Jenkins. He's just not an elite coach. But we do have some incredible matchups. I'm going to start with some of the games on Tuesday night. The 76ers taking on the Boston Celtics. The 76ers, a full season of Joel Embiid and James Harden. But you also have Tobias Harris. You have Tyrese Maxey. You have some great role players. The Boston Celtics playing without their head coach, Ame Udoka. I still think the Boston Celtics are a good team. And then the Lakers taking on the Warriors at the Chase Center. You know, I actually am rooting for the Lakers to be good because I want to see this as a rivalry. The Warriors are going to reveal their championship banner from 2022, and they are going to get their championship rings. And Draymond Green has returned to the lineup just in time. What is this Lakers team going to look like with new head coach Darvin Ham and a healthy big three? And not to mention Patrick Beverly. I actually think that the Lakers are a playoff team. You know, I just finished watching that Lakers documentary, and it is so fascinating. But this has been a dysfunctional franchise, and it took one player, LeBron James, to turn it around. And even then, they missed the playoffs last year because of injuries. LeBron has been with the Lakers for four seasons now. Two of those years, he made the playoffs. 
2020, they win the championship in the bubble. Great. Congratulations. 2021, if Anthony Davis doesn't get hurt, do they beat the Phoenix Suns? I've always wondered that. But I'm looking forward to this NBA season. The Atlanta Hawks will take on the Houston Rockets on Wednesday at State Farm Arena. I cannot wait. So my early finals picks, I'm going to just say it. It's going to be the Memphis Grizzlies and the Milwaukee Bucks. If Chris Middleton does not get hurt for Milwaukee, do they beat Boston in the playoffs? I know that Bobby Z would be happy with my pick because he is a huge Milwaukee Bucks fan. Big shout out to Bobby Z. I had him on the show a couple weeks ago, and hopefully the Milwaukee Bucks do good this year. The NHL season started up last night, and we had the New York Rangers defeat the Tampa Bay Lightning 3-1, to and the Vegas Golden Knights defeating the Los Angeles Kings 4-3. to We'll be right back with the Daily Dash with my broadcast partner and co-host, Corey Bank. Yeah! Stick around. Welcome back to the Daily Dash. I've got my broadcast partner and co-host, Corey Bank, and we are here to make some college football picks. Corey, how's it going? Doing phenomenal, Richard. All right, we have four incredible college football games that we are going to pick. Let's start with the Fox noon kickoff. Penn State traveling to Ann Arbor to take on the Michigan Wolverines. Michigan, their last three games have not really blown people away, but they are ranked fifth. They did drop in the rankings. Penn State had a statement win against Auburn, but they got a very close win against Northwestern, and they beat Central Michigan. But they come into this contest 5-0, and taking on the 6-0 and Wolverines. Michigan is favored by seven. Corey, who do you have in this game? So the Penn State Nittany Lions and the Michigan Wolverines meet Saturday in Week 7 in the college football action at Michigan Stadium, Richard. The Penn State Nittany Lions look for their first 6-0 start since 2019. Now the Michigan Wolverines look for their back-to-back 7-0 starts. The Penn State Nittany Lions have won four of their last seven road games. Sean Clifford is completing 62% of his passes from 1,030 yards, nine touchdowns, and two interceptions. Parker Washington and Brenton Strange have combined for 516 receiving yards and four touchdowns, while Mitchell Tinsley has 19 receptions. The Penn State Nittany Lions ground game is averaging 192.6 yards per contest. And Nicholas Singleton leads the way with 454 yards and five touchdowns. Defensively, Penn State is allowing 14.8 points and 342 yards per game. Jair Brown leads the Penn State Nittany Lions with 25 tackles. Danny Dennis Sutton has three sacks. And Zachy Wheatley has two interceptions. Now, this Michigan Wolverines team, they haven't lost a game since November of 2020, Richard. J.J. McCarthy is is completing 78% of his passes for 1,152 yards, nine touchdowns, and just one interception all year. Ronnie Bell and Luke Schoonmaker have combined for 619 yards and three touchdowns, while Roman Wilson has 12 receptions. 
the Michigan Wolverines ground attack is averaging 212 yards per contest. And Blake Karoom leads the way with 735 yards and 11 touchdowns. Defensively, Michigan is only allowing 11 points a game and 247 yards. Junior Colson leads the Michigan Wolverines with 37 tackles. Mike Morris has five sacks, and Rod Moore has two interceptions. The Nittany Lions are 7-3 and three in their last 10 road games and 2-5 and five in the last seven games in October. But this Wolverines team is 9-3 and three in their last 12 conference games and 14-6 and six in their last 20 overall games. The under in this one with Nittany Lions in the last conference games, they're 6-2. and two. While on the under for the Wolverines is 6-1. and one. But the thing is, is that the Mitney Lions are an attractive team in this game. But Penn State, bottom line so far, Richard, has had a soft schedule for the most part. Their pass defense is only ranked 100th. And so for those reasons, I'm going to have to take the Wolverines in double digits. That's a great pick, Corey. Let's go to this incredible Big 12 matchup between two undefeated teams. The Oklahoma State Cowboys, which is my dark horse to make the college football playoff. Taking on a TCU team that knocked out Kansas from the ranks of the unbeaten. The Horn Frogs have looked dynamic with their quarterback, Max Dugan. Taking on an undefeated Oklahoma State Cowboys team. Something's got to give because both high-scoring offenses going up in this Big 12 matchup. 3.30 kickoff on ABC. Number 8, Oklahoma State taking on number 13, TCU. Corey, who do you have in this game? The Oklahoma State Cowboys come into this matchup with a record of 5-0, Richard. In their last game, the Cowboys stepped onto the field against Texas Tech Red Raiders. And they went home. They won by the final score of 41-31. Spencer Sanders finished 22-45 with 297 yards passing and a touchdown. He had a QB rating of 111 and walked away from the game without throwing an interception. Dynamic indeed, Richard. Now, Dominic Richardson was the best rusher for the Cowboys. 19 rushes for 67 yards, three and a half yards per carry. The Oklahoma State Cowboys rushed the ball 41 times all game, 137 yards on the ground, 434 yards all game, and they let up 379 of their own. Now, in regards to this, the Horn Frogs, they're coming into this game as well, Richard, also 5-0. When they last stepped onto the field, the Horned Frogs got the win for the final score, 38-31. When they faced the Kansas Jayhawks, Kendry Miller carried the ball 18 times for 88 yards, walking away from the game for 4.9 yards of rush. Now, Max Dugan, what can we say about him? He had three touchdowns in the game, and he had 308 yards on 23 of 33 passing, a QB rating of 172. He had one interception, and the bottom line is the Horned Frogs got it down in the running game, averaging five yards a carry, 189 from scrimmage. Now this Horned Frogs team, I'm going to have to take in this one, Richard, and that's because I have to go with this team because my high school teammate, Chris Gaynor, alumni, ex-starter on the offensive line, play for the Horn Frogs, and I have to show appreciation for them. Absolutely. That is a good pick, Corey. I am going to go with Oklahoma State. Corey, we're going to save the best for last. I'm actually going to skip to the nighttime game between Clemson and Florida State. 
as Florida State has lost two straight. I actually thought Florida State was back after they started 4-0. And Clemson, they're ranked fourth, but they haven't really been blowing people away. I mean, they did beat Boston College 31-3, to and DJ Uyongale is improving as a starter. But I think that the hostile environment, the Florida State Seminoles, just that crowd, you know, they're going to be fired up. It's a must-win game for Florida State. Even though Clemson is favored by three and a half, I actually think that Florida State is going to get the upset in this game. So the Clemson Tigers coming into this game 6-0, but not the typical 6-0 team. They've had troubles along the way. Last week, they took care of business against Boston College, like you said, Richard, 31-3. But DJ Ugliaglie was the best rusher for the Tigers last week. 12 carries and 69 yards, 5.8 yards per carry. But DJ Ugliaglie finished 18-32 of with 222 through the air and three touchdowns. And his passing rating was 138.7, and he walked away from the game with only one interception. Now, against the run, the Tigers gave up 34 yards. That's unbelievable, Richard. They've only gave up one yard to carry, essentially. And for those reasons, I have to go with Clemson, despite the fact that Jordan Travis has been coming together. Last week, he did not look so great with his completion percentage, only completing 50% of his but that's the key stat. I really think that Florida State has to rely on the run game, whether it's an RPO from Jordan Travis or they have to get it in between the tackles. In that regard, I do think it's going to be the Clemson Tigers in this game. All right. Now the moment we've all been waiting for, the third Saturday in October, the biggest Tennessee-Alabama game in over 20 years. Number three ranked Alabama Crimson Tide going up to Rocky Top to take on number six, the Tennessee Volunteers. My former co-host and lifelong Vols fan said he is going to sing Rocky Top all night long if Tennessee beats Alabama. Alabama is favored. We still don't know the status of Bryce Young. But right now, Alabama is a seven and a half point favorite, which that means that it's going to be a close game. But if there's any time that Tennessee needs to beat Alabama, because they haven't beaten them since 2006, this is the year. And not only is Tennessee going to win this game in a close matchup, but I think Tennessee is going to win the rest of their games and possibly compete for the college football playoff. Bull prediction, I know. But what do you got, Corey? So the Alabama Crimson Tide come to this game 6-0, and Richard. The last time they stepped on the field, they played against Texas A&M Aggies. They won 24-20. But Jamar Gibbs led the offense in rushing. 21 carries for 154. That's seven yards per clip. That is astonishing in terms of rushing per carry average, Richard. Now, Jalen Milroy finished the game with 12-19 for 111 yards and three touchdowns. That's not bad coming in the game for, for Bryce. He had a QB rating of 153.8, and he finished the game with a pick. But the Crimson Tide gave 70 yards on the ground, 2.8 yards of rush. But the thing is, the Volunteers, like you said, they've been playing some of the best football I've seen in the last 15 years. They're undefeated, they're 5-0, and and they're coming off a very good victory against the LSU Tigers. Jabari Small carried the Rock 22 times, Richard, for 127. 
against a stout run defense in LSU. 5.8 yards per carry. Wow. Now, quarterback Kenyon Hooker, two touchdowns. He finished the contest with 239 in the air, 17 to 27, 161 QB rating in this game. But the thing is, the Tennessee team, ground attack, they only gave up two yards of carry against an LSU team that primarily runs the football. And so for those reasons, I actually think the Volunteers are going to come out victorious in this game. Wow. So you and I are both picking the Tennessee Volunteers to upset the Alabama Crimson Tide, which which means that they would catapult their season all the way up until the top three status when they take on Georgia. I'm telling you right now, if there is a team that will stuff Jemire, Jemire Gibbs, it's going to be this Tennessee Volunteers team. They're stout at linebacker. They fill the holes, and they roam sideline to sideline. They're very athletic, and they have a defensive line that's very quick off the football, gets the penetration. If they're going to win this game, they're going to beat Alabama in the trenches. It's a great pick, Corey. As always, thank you for joining the show for the Daily Dash, and uh, we'll talk to you tomorrow as uh, we'll make our NFL picks. Absolutely, Richard. Always a pleasure. All right, that was my broadcast partner and co-host, Corey Bank, for the Daily Dash. We'll be right back with Justin Dale. You don't want to go anywhere. Justin is going to be on the show, and he's going to talk about that heartbreaking Atlanta Braves lost to the Philadelphia Phillies in game one of the NLDS. And then we're going to preview that 49ers-Falcons game. All right, you don't want to miss it. We'll be back with Justin. This is the show, and we're not going to change it. Welcome back. I've got my Wednesday's guest, Justin Dale, on the show. But, Justin, last afternoon's game, Braves lost 7-6. to It was a tough loss, and they lost the first game at home against the Phillies. It was a tough loss, and you're going out there against a team that you're very familiar with in the Philadelphia Phillies. You can't get it done at home. Um, you know, I know we talk about the day, but the day, the day game bug and stuff like that seems to bite the break a lot. It's the season to have a losing record in day games. But, yeah, this game was, it was disappointing for sure because, I mean, Max – it wasn't even he pitched bad. Um, it was the you know he threw a lot of stuff to the plate, and the the Phillies capitalized on it. There was some questionable fielding error um, at certain points that allowed the the innings to be extended and gave the Phillies extra out. As Philadelphia is playing right now, to their credit, they, they fell down seven to one. Five more runs on the board, ninth make it seven six, and um, you know the, you start the game off. And he's going up against a team that, you know, you're familiar with in the Philadelphia Phillies. You played them 19 times out of the year. And, um, you know, he threw a lot of strikes. You know, didn't walk a lot of play. They, they were able to make contact too much of the play at times. Some of the same troubles the Braves had against the Marlins the last series of the year kind of seemed to have continued, at least in the, into this first game of the NLDS with the Phillies. Went to the game tonight at 4.30, getting off work a little early. I'll be there for this game. I'm really excited to see what will happen in this game, but, uh, but yeah, it's, um, should be exciting. Braves have got a tough customer and Zach Wheeler, they got a face, um, but he's a guy that they've seen times this year. And so they should be some familiarity there with him. And I really thought that the Braves fought back in game one. They were down seven to one, but they lose the game seven to six. Matt Olson with a three run Homer in the bottom of the ninth inning. What was going through your mind when Matt Olson hit that three run Homer? Well, I mean, this is, you know, kind of the Braves 
MO, sometimes they can get after teams. You know, it actually kind of brought me back to a game. I think it was against the Phillies, actually, a few weeks ago when they were in Phil- when they were here in Atlanta, and, and the Phillies were winning a Phillies game, but they had winning. Braves hadn't done much of anything all game, and then they they exploded for the eighth and um, won that game pretty solidly. And so it's it's definitely one of those – it was one of those things to me that I felt like this team could bust out at any time. That lineup is dangerous, um, and they could be quiet all game and then all of a sudden explode in the late inning and score three or four or five runs. And so it, it was definitely big to see. But, you know, it, it just gets it gets hard. You know, at that point, there was one out. Um, and then uh, Nick Cassianos had an incredible catch um, that Rob Absolutely. hit. And, you know, that at that point, you kind of feel like, well, it's – it's going to be tough, but you know, Darno came up. Darno had been probably the best hitter we had all afternoon, and you thought maybe he could at least get on base or make something happen, bring up Michael Harris. But uh, unfortunately, it just wasn't meant to be. We clawed back into it, made it a one-run game, which is great. We got to pitch a little bit better and and, and also feel better. And I, th- I think maybe getting this first game out of their system, um, hopefully they can they can settle back down, get back into their routine um, tomorrow. I know it's still in their. Uh, Hopefully we can get back in our routine and start hitting, and we can take this game too. And I didn't realize the Phillies have Kyle Schwarber, who led the National League in home runs, and he was leading off. Uh, you remember, he's got some postseason experience, won a World Series with the Cubs in 2016. So this Phillies team is going to be a dangerous lineup. The Braves are going up against their ace, Zach Wheeler. I want to ask you, Justin, you know, the Braves got to win the division, and they you know move on to the division series. What would you prefer to do? to get hot and go into the postseason or have some rest and rest your your starting pitching? Because I felt like the momentum that the Phillies had in that wild card series carried them to a game one win. You know, and it's funny, too, because they wasn't playing particularly well to end the season either. I mean, they came to Atlanta, got swept, we went up there. And so they weren't really playing particularly well. They also ended the season on on, you know, on the road. I think they had played like seven or eight games on the road. I think. But they they clinch a spot, you know, to get that sixth seed, and then they get into the wild card series, and they're playing St. Louis. And they didn't look, you know, that first game they didn't do nothing. They were didn't score anything. They didn't really have many, many hits. And then all of a sudden that ninth inning, they bloated for not for six runs and and won that game against the Cardinals, and that just kind of propelled and went on into the second game to come into this series. And yeah, even with a couple of days off it, that, that hot streak's still there. They're hitting really well. They're clicking really well right now. But you, you remember the Braves were playing really well last year going into the postseason. I know it wasn't talked about a lot, but the Braves finished the season winning. They only had like in the last two weeks of the season, they only had like one or two losses. And so they won, they finished up that, they won the division. They finished that season, but they kind of carried that over. Even the first game against the Brewers in the division series last year, they kind of carried that hot streak over. And, and and you get a couple of good pitchers that are pitching well, and you got some bats that are swinging the bat well, and come out of nowhere and upset some teams. You know, the Braves did that, only winning 88 games last year and beat, you know, a 106-win team Dodger, Dodger team and a 96-win, you know, Brewers team last year. And so, yeah, it – Playing, you know, the way you're playing at the end of the season can can affect you for sure. And, you know, the Braves were – and it wasn't like the Braves were playing bad at the end of the season either. Um, they were playing pretty good, you know, took that sweep of the Mets. But it does make you wonder how much of this divisional race is taking it out of the Braves, um, trying to, try, you know, keep in pace with the Mets, the kind of pace they were on, um, the games they were winning. It makes you wonder if, um, you know, maybe now they're starting to show a little fatigue from just – you know, that pace of trying to keep up with the Mets and finally passing them and winning the division. Uh, let's hope that they 
can get themselves going again tonight against the Phillies. All right, Justin. Spencer Strider makes the postseason roster. Is there a chance that he might start game three? I think so, honestly. Um, I think they may have to uh, start him. I think the Braves are maybe hoping not to have to use him as a starter, maybe hoping he could just maybe be used in long relief or something so they wouldn't put so much stress on him because he hadn't really pitched really a lot in the last two weeks. But the Braves may have no choice when they go into game three, especially if, if they can win tomorrow or today. They win today get, and get to Philly on Friday and uh, tie the series up. I mean, you've got to you got to think, I mean, Spencer Strider is like your perfect postseason pitcher. The way, he, you know, he throws hard, he gets strike. He's the kind of guy you need in a postseason series, and he can be the difference maker um, in trying to take a game, you know, you know, if you're tied up, trying to take a game three, especially going into a hostile environment like Philadelphia. The fans are going to be wild. Um, the team hasn't been home in like two weeks. <laughs> so coming back home, they're going to be excited. Yeah, you you know, if you do tie it up, game three becomes pivotal because the loser of game three will then have their backs against the wall where they have to win the next two games in order to advance. And so I, I think the Braves might throw Spencer Strider out as a starter or, or at the very least is maybe what you classify as an opener where maybe they tell, you know, three, give us three, four innings and then off somebody else at that point um, in order to not work, you know, put his workload too much on him. But I could, I could see the Braves deciding to start him in game three if needed. I like the Braves' chances tonight in game two. All they got to do is just steal one in Philadelphia to bring it back to Atlanta for a game five, in which in game five anything can happen. But how much confidence do you have in Max Freed? starting game five i know that he didn't have his greatest outing but to give the phillies hitters credit they were aggressive swinging at the first pitch and just some tough luck really those those four straight hits with two outs otherwise max Fried would have got out of that first inning i agree i think that you know you there's a few plays especially earlier in the game again if you know a player is not out of position um or maybe if you know a throw, you know maybe a throw was made better than I, I think. Maybe you have some, you get a, you get an out or something in there where you should have gotten a, where you didn't get an out and you should have gotten an out. And I think you maybe limit the damage um, in some of those in some of those early innings. But but yeah, I mean Max is I mean he's been down this road before. He's a post he's been in the postseason pitched for us several times. He knows what's at stake here, and so we know what kind of pitcher he's capable of being in the postseason. And I, I think you'll see him. You know he'll take something out of this and he'll he'll grow from it. And I think that's the I, that's the one thing the advantage the Braves have. If you, if you do push this series to five games, the Braves will be able to throw Max Freed again. And um, you can bring him back on short rest, I guess, in Game Four if you needed to. If it was an elimination game for for yourself, but the um, if you bring him back in Game Five. You get him back on, you know, regular rest, and they have to face our, our ace again for a second time. Whereas, because the Phillies had to play in this wild card series, yeah, we got to go through Zach Wheeler and Aaron Nola games two and three, but we only see them once. You know, they can't. They'll. I mean, they. they it'd be really hard to turn around and throw Zach Wheeler on such short rest in game five if they. I mean, I guess they could if they absolutely had to. But you get a you'll get a Zach Wheeler that may not be as sharp because he's pitching on short rest. Georgia and Auburn. Georgia gets the win. Auburn just does not look good. And I think that Tennessee could give Georgia a game. Uh, are you concerned about Georgia? This game against Auburn, I know it was 42-10, to 10, but uh, what are some good positives that you can come out of this uh, game against Auburn? 
Uh, the, well, the one positive I had was that the, the, the Bulldogs ran the ball better in this game than they have um, in a lot of games during the season, which is great. Um, I, I feel like they had gotten away from the run game a, you know, a little too much. And, and even in the first few games, they were it was a lot of short passes, medium short to medium passes from Stetson Bennett, mm-hmm. even in those first games, and, and you could do it. But, I, you know, the one thing that I think they ran the ball better, they started doing more of that outside running that they used against Missouri at the end of the um, end of that game to be able to take the lead. And so that, that helped uh, McIntosh look pretty good in that game. Um, but yeah, I mean, it, they got off to a slow start. I was worried about it at first. Um, they couldn't seem to sustain drives. Um, Sesson Bennett was overthrowing some people, but they did settle in. And as the second half got on, they, they were starting to move the ball better, starting winning the line of scrimmage a little bit more. But I'm not sure how much that had to do with them playing more physical or just Auburn getting tired. I'm just not sure. Um, obviously, they don't have the depth that Georgia has. But, yeah, I mean, there, there's definitely concerns with this team. Uh, they're not perfect at all. You know, they, the one, one of the biggest things is they've got to get – at least get A.D. Mitchell back, if not get Arian Smith as well. they got to have a consistent deep threat to stretch the defense. Um, and that's one thing that's been missing over the last three games from Stetson Bennett. His deep ball has not been very accurate, and he's not been hitting his receivers. And part of that is he's missing A.D. Mitchell. Him and him and Mitchell had a good connection with each other and not having him in there hurts. And, and defenses are starting to figure that out, that he's he's relying on the short to medium passing routes, and they're they're playing in and taking those away from Stetson. And so they're, it's making it hard on him to find open receivers. And so I think, you know, running the ball is helping with that a little bit. Um, but, yeah, he's got to get that – they've got to get that explosiveness back to this offense a little bit because if they don't, um, teams are just going to play in the box and they're going to take away those short, medium passing routes because they're not scared of Stetson Bennett, Stetson Bennett beating them with a deep ball. All right, Justin, before we preview this Atlanta Falcons-San Francisco 49ers game, because I've, I've been wanting to do this ever since the schedule came out, we have to talk about the roughing the passer call on Grady Jarrett. <laughs> Yes. It was egregious. It was oh. everybody. Everybody agrees it was the worst call in the history of roughing the passer calls. Right. You, you have a situation for the third straight week in a row. Grady Jarrett gets a huge sack on third down to stop a drive. This is what would have happened if he didn't get called for the penalty. Who knows what could have happened? The Falcons could have got the ball back down 21 to 15. All the momentum was favoring the Falcons. They clawed their way back into that game down 21 to nothing. Right. But Grady Jarrett's, you know, questionable roughing the passer call. I keep watching the video over and over and over again. Tom Brady rolls over Grady. And then a lot of people don't realize this. Tom Brady kicks Grady and then throws up his hands to the line judge. Like, where's the call? And then they finally gave the call to Tom Brady. You know that Marcus Mariota was sacked the same exact way, no call. I mean, yeah, it's – I mean, look, it's been – you know, we've talked about it. The NFL, they've talked about it, you know, on, on others. You know, all the talking heads have talked about it for the last two or three days, that penalty. And, you know, and, and even Monday Night Football with uh, Chris Jones sacking uh, Derek Carr, it looked like just a sack that was called for a um, roughing the passer call as well. It, and, and his didn't look much worse or any worse than did Tom Brady. So – I don't know why they're really picky about this roughing the passer calls, but it, it's just a shame because you get a player like Grady Jarrett, he plays the game the right way, 
and he goes and he makes a sack. Um, he was causing a lot of disruption on the line for, for Tom Brady. He got a big sack towards the end of the game, and um, I, I still I still look at it myself and still trying to figure out like what was wrong with this sack. And I don't know. I, I can't tell you what was wrong with the sack at all um, and why it was a roughing the passer call. Tom Brady was trying to scramble. He was trying to get away. It happens with Brady a lot. I think I think it gets a lot more attention when it's Tom Brady just because he's he's such a polarizing. The roughing the passer call on Grady Jared was absolutely ridiculous, honestly. Like you said, that was a, a big moment in that game. You don't know what would have happened. The Falcons get the ball back. They're only down by six points. Uh, touchdown wins you the game. And so you see a big moment like that that's taken away from them. And there's I've, I've watched that video from different angles, and I've tried to figure out myself what was wrong with it. It looked fine to me. It looked like he just sacked him. I mean, you, you Grady Jarrett comes around the corner. Tom Brady sees him. He tries to scramble to try to find to get away from him and try to find an open receiver. He can't. And Grady comes up behind him and, and tackles him. And I just don't understand where the roughing the passer call comes from there. Um, but a similar situation happened uh, to the Chiefs on Monday Night Football. Chris Jones sacked Raiders quarterback Derek Carr. And while he was tackling him, he actually stripped the ball from him. And it would have resulted in a turnover for the Chiefs. And then the whole thing was negated because they threw they threw a penalty flag on it and called roughing the passer. And even when you watch that video, Chris Jones comes down on Derek Carr with his full weight. You can see his hands. He tries to brace himself as he comes down on the ground to try to keep himself from just completely falling all his weight and force on top of Derek Carr. Uh, Because Chris Jones is a big man. You don't want him falling on top of you. (laughs) And uh, (laughs) still, even at that, it was still called a a roughing the passer um, call. And so I don't don't know, but it's it's definitely – it's frustrating as a fan for sure to see this because, you know, it's look, I'm all for player safety in the, in, in the NFL and I'm not trying to negate any of that, but there's gotta be a balance. You can't just make, you can't take away the hits and things that make football fun just for player safety because nobody's going to want to watch it. Honestly, quarterbacks are, are, they're on the field. They take hits too. Sometimes, um, you know, I don't want anybody to get hurt, but this is part of the game. It's a, Football is a very hard-hitting game, and you know they're you know the players that step on the field know that you know they can get hurt while they're out there playing. And so I, I still feel like protect the players at all costs, but you can't take away what makes football football. And and it just it's such a it's such a hard thing for the fans when one of their players makes a big makes a big sack like that or game-changing play, and then it's negated for a penalty like this when you really never called these kind of penalties before. So, I don't know. I just I didn't like it at all. The Atlanta Falcons taking on the San Francisco 49ers in Atlanta on Sunday. The 49ers are a five-and-a-half point favorite on the road. They come into this contest three and two. The Falcons are two and three. This is the return of Kyle Shanahan, who was the offensive coordinator for the Atlanta Falcons from 2015 to 2016. I think if Nick Bosa does not go for San Francisco, I think the Falcons have a shot at winning this game. I think they do. I mean, it's, it's a home game, so the Falcons will have the crowd with them for there. I, I think the, the, what, I, what I've seen online right now, the, I think the 49ers are a five-and-a-half-point favorite to win this game. Justin, that crowd in Atlanta is going to be 50-50. And you won't be able to tell because they all have red jerseys. The 49ers travel. Did you see that game against Carolina? Nothing but red jerseys in the stands. Oh, yeah, they do. It will. They will travel. Absolutely, they will travel. You know, Atlanta's a melting pot of 
of um, different teams anyway. So, yeah, there'll definitely be a lot of 49er fans in the building, that's for sure. You got to remember, you know, our our generation, they grew up in, in the 1980s. They won five Super Bowls. A lot of kids grew up rooting for Joe Montana and Jerry Rice. They weren't from the San Francisco Bay Area. They just mm-hmm. happened to like the 49ers. The 49ers have a huge fan base like the Steelers, like the Packers, like the Cowboys. So, yeah, you're right. going to see a lot of 49ers fans at the bins on Sunday. You will. You you'll definitely will. Um, I mean, I still I still think 49ers can win win this game, but I, I definitely think that the Falcons will give them a fight. And like you said, if Nick Bosa's not there, the Falcons will have a better time moving the ball on the 49ers. And so, I, you know, expect this game to be close. Oh, yeah. And uh, like I said, five – but right now they're they're giving I think the four ers five and a half point favorites right now. So the game so they're expecting the game to be close. I think it will too. Uh, the over under is forty three and a half points, and so yeah, I could see this being a you know maybe at first you know low scoring game at first. I, maybe one team taking you know taking a game towards the end. But uh, but yeah, this this should be a good game um, between the 49ers and the Falcons. I expect it to be close and be and be entertaining. Oh, I'm really looking forward to this game. The Atlanta Falcons have been in every single game this year, and so I expect this to be a fourth-quarter game. And Marcus Mariota is a mobile quarterback. The mm-hmm. 49ers have struggled against mobile quarterbacks like Kyler Murray, like Russell Wilson. I think that Marcus Mariota's ability to get out of the pocket could help the Falcons, but you also have a stout run defense that the 49ers have. And the matchup I really want to see is A.J. Terrell going up against Debo Samuel. But mm-hmm. if, if they find a way to, to stop Debo Samuel and George Kittle, Brandon Ayuk and Jawan Jennings could step up. Uh, Jimmy Garoppolo just looks comfortable. The offensive line is just getting better. Right. I, th- I think Jimmy Garoppolo is going to have a decent game. If he doesn't make the big mistake, I think that the Falcons play right into Kyle Shanahan's game plan to run the football, play physical defense, and keep Marcus Mariota on the sidelines. I really am looking forward to seeing Kyle Shanahan return to Atlanta, and I'm very interested to see what type of reception he gets with the Atlanta crowd. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I, I think it'll be a mixed, re- mixed reaction from him, but we'll, we'll definitely see. Uh, to me, the most intriguing matchup of this is going to be Grady Jared versus the offensive line of the 49ers. Um, like you said, they're getting better. Each week they play in a little bit better, but Grady Jared is just a monster up front. And, oh, oh, yeah. And so I, I want, I'm want i looking forward to seeing that because I do think that Grady Jarrett's going to keep going to try to make things as uncomfortable as he can for Garoppolo back there. I don't, I don't expect him to just sit back there like a statue and be able to pass the ball. Um, so yeah, I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing what you know what that uh, what that Falcon defensive line led by Grady Jared in particular uh, can do against that offensive line of the 49ers. I, I got to tell you a funny story. So I was watching, you know, on Monday night I was watching the Raiders and the Chiefs, and uh, I had Mac Hollins on my fantasy team because mm-hmm. uh, I just picked him up on waiver wires because there were there was one game where he had such a great game for the Raiders. And so I was trailing my opponent by 10 points because, once again, for the second week in a row, Lamar Jackson doesn't give me any fantasy points. I mean, if he would have got his average fantasy points, I would have won last week. But Mac Hollins was targeted four times, got zero fantasy points for me. And so I'm pretty much done. I'm two and three. I, I was, actually was gaining some momentum 
I don't know. I mean, is, that's pretty fascinating that, you know, you're watching a Monday night football game because you have one fantasy player that you're hoping can deliver. Uh, but how's your fantasy team doing? Um, both my teams took big L's this weekend. <laughs> no, mean, it's been a, it's it's not been a, good, a tough week. Yeah, it was a tough week for for both my teams. Um, one one team I got, I, I've been dealing with quarterback issues because my I have I've drafted um, Dak Prescott, and of course he got hurt in week one, and so I've been kind of playing the QB carousel since. Um, and I was I was using I was using the uh, Commanders quarterback um, Wentz Carson Wentz for for a couple of weeks, and one week he did really good, and then another week he didn't do so hot, and then I've actually switched over. And I'm actually using Geno Smith right now. Never thought I'd ever be starting Geno hey. Smith on a fantasy team, but boy, he's playing really well. He's, right he's that is the surprise of the league that Geno Smith and the way he is playing, mm-hmm. it's like it's like topsy turvy. Russell Wilson is struggling with the Broncos, and Geno Smith is actually playing well for the Seahawks. Mm-hmm. But get this, I picked up former Atlanta Falcons running back Tevin Coleman off waiver wires. He actually had a very good game. Against Carolina, the 49ers dominated the Carolina Panthers 42 to 15, causing the Panthers to fire Matt Rule. I mean, the Panthers just looked terrible, but Tevin Coleman actually stepped up. And so I went ahead and picked him up on waiver wires. Yeah, that's good. That's a good one uh, to pick up there. Yeah, I, I picked up when Cordell Patterson went down. I picked up uh, Tyler Algier, and um, he's looked he's looked pretty good the last few weeks filling in at the running back position for the Falcons. So I picked him up. Um, but yeah, last week just wasn't a good week. Um, both my, both my teams just didn't perform that well. Um, one of my leagues, I had um, Jonathan Taylor and um, I, I didn't realize starting until we didn't until like late Thursday night, but I was, I had yeah. worked 12 hour a day with work and I didn't get a chance to swap him out. So I, I ended up taking a big fat zero in one of my running back positions for that. But, but it's all right. New week. You know, get we'll get the lineup, lineup will get set properly this week, and uh, we'll get right back at it. Still early, still plenty of time to make up ground in the in the fantasy rankings. Well, Justin, I know that you and I are both going to be watching that Falcons 49ers game, and you know, obviously, I'm rooting for the 49ers. If the 49ers lose to the Falcons, I'll be happy that the Falcons picked up the W. I'll be recapping it on next week's show. But one game I'm really looking forward to is that Bills Chiefs game. I mean, that is the game of the year, especially after that playoff game last year. Oh, absolutely. Um, those are two of the best teams in the NFL right now. Uh, Bills are fun to watch. So are the Chiefs. Um, two good quarterback, Josh Allen and Patrick Mahomes, going at each other. Two teams that, honestly, I could see meeting again in, in the postseason this year, You know, whether it's the uh, cha- conference championship game or, or a division series or something, or a division game or something like that. Um, I, I definitely see that this um, these two teams um, facing each other again at some point in the playoffs, trying to get back to the Super Bowl. Well, Justin, as always, thank you so much for being on the show for this Wednesday's episode, and uh, we'll talk to you next week. All right, Richard. Um, thanks for having me on, man. Looking forward to it. And let's go Braves. Hopefully next week we'll be talking about the Braves in the NLCS. Yes, looking forward to it. That was Justin Dale, my Wednesday guest. Thank you, everybody, so much who has who has downloaded the podcast and liked and subscribed to my Facebook channel. And don't forget, you can listen to me on iHeartRadio, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for tuning in, and we will talk to you tomorrow. Bye, everybody.
I'll put one of those hash browns at the end, you know, like hash brown team Cobra Kai or something. And then send it to the internet! You've been listening to The Sports Beat with Richard Holdry. We invite you to download and subscribe. You can find us on Anchor, Spotify, Google Cast, Stitcher, iTunes, or wherever fine podcasts are found. Thanks for listening. Feel free to share with your friends and family. This has been The Sports Beat, with your host, Richard Holdry. Produced in Columbus, Georgia. Extra production provided by J.D. Matthews. All opinions stated herein are those of the host and do not represent the opinions of Anchor Podcasts. Copyright 2020, all rights reserved.